Get together and turn to page 11 in our songbooks, page 11. So we get started this Sunday morning, oh, worship the King. That's why we're here today, amen, to worship our Lord. Page 11 as we get started. Oh, worship the King, oh, glorious above. Oh, gratefully sing His power and His love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. Oh, tell of His might, oh, sing of His grace, whose robe is the light, whose canopy space, His chariots of wrath, the deep thunder clouds form, and dark is his path on the wings of the storm. Thy bountiful care, what tongue can recite? It breathes in the air, it shines in the light. It streams from the hills, it descends to the plain, and sweetly distills in the dew and the rain. Frail children of dust and feeble as frail, in thee do we trust, nor find thee to fail. Thy mercies, how tender, how firm to the end, our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. Amen. Now let's turn to page 175. 175, there is a fountain. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that blood, lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains and sinners plunge beneath that blood lose all their guilty stains the dying thief rejoice to see that fountain in his day and there may I though vile as he wash all my sins away Wash all my sins away, wash all my sins away. There may I though vile as he wash all my sins away. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power. Till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. Till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. On the last, when this poor lip-sing, stammering tongue, Lie silent in the grave. Then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. I'll sing thy power to save. I'll sing thy power to save. 
Then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we can assemble together in your name. We ask that you would take each part of this service, the special music, Lord, the singing. We ask that you would be honored and glorified in the preaching this morning. And most of all, Lord, in each heart here present, we would surrender ourselves to your most holy word. We ask you to be worshipped this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, we're going to have our ladies' choir come up and sing a special for us. Turn to page 63. Glory to his name. Amen. Page 63. Down at the cross where my Savior died, down where for cleansing from sin I cried, there to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name, there to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name, 
I am so wondrously saved from sin. Jesus so sweetly abides within. There at the cross where he took me in. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. Oh, precious fountain that saves from sin. I am so glad I have entered in. There Jesus saves me and keeps me clean. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. Come to this fountain so rich and sweet. Cast thy poor soul at the Savior's feet. Plunge in today and be made complete. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. Amen. Turn to page 361. 361. Our Lord is the lily of the valley. Sick 361. I have found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. The lily of the valley, in him alone I see. All I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. In sorrow he's my comfort, in trouble he's my stay. He tells me every care on him to roll. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He all my griefs has taken and all my sorrows bore. In temptation he's my strong and mighty tower. I have all for him forsaken and all my idols torn. From my heart and now he keeps me by his power. Though will the world forsake me and Satan tempt me sore, through Jesus I can safely reach the goal. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. At this time, all the children, 11 and under, will be dismissed to the junior church. And let us sing that last verse, He will never, never leave me. Amen? He will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me here, while I live by faith and do His blessed will. A wall of fire about me, I've nothing now to fear. With his manna he my hungry soul shall fill. Then sweeping up to glory to see his blessed face, where rivers of delight shall ever roll. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. Amen, and you can be seated. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And, of course, this is the day that uh, we traditionally remember the triumphal entry 
into the city of Jerusalem as Jesus rode uh, both the donkey and her baby uh, donkey, the foal uh, or the colt, into the city of Jerusalem, and the people worshipped him. And I want us just to to read a couple of verses here today because uh, the triumphal entry really was a day of incredible uh, contradictions or opposites. Uh, you've got to, to get the picture of literally tens of thousands of people moving down the mountain into the city of Jerusalem with Jesus uh, at the lead, uh, singing Hosanna in the highest glory to the Son of David. And uh, in verse 41, it says, And when he was come near, he beheld the city, verse 41 of Luke chapter 19, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Now, I want you to get the picture here. Everybody is throwing up their hands and waving the palm branches and and, uh, literally covering the road with their own coats so that uh, there would be no dust stirred up and everything would would be the way it ought to be for a king entering the city and they're praising him as their Messiah. And those that have been to the city of Jerusalem say that as you're coming down from Bethany, Bethany is actually a little higher in elevation. You come up over a knoll uh, in the mountain there and around a curve, and the whole city of Jerusalem lays out in panorama before you. And it seems that it was right about there. He came near the city. It says he beheld it. He, He looked at the city, and as he looked at that panorama of that city of Jerusalem, amidst all the cheering and the praising of God, in fact, when he got to the temple just a, uh, a little bit after this time, he was actually entered the city and went up into the temple. The Pharisees said, uh, Master, you need to tell your disciples to be quiet. And Jesus said, If I were to tell them to be quiet, said even the stones would cry out he said they would immediately he said it is a time to praise me because jesus is god and as we look at this and we understand that what was going on jesus did not have a smile on his face it says he beheld the city and he wept over it Now, you read through your Bible, and and you're going to find out that the the people uh, of the Bible, I can't talk for Jewish people today. We cannot reinterpret things 2,000 years ago based on what we know today. But in the days of Jesus Christ, there was just a tremendous amount of emotion involved. In fact, they had professional mourners. and, And they tell us that the more noise that they made at the funeral or a sad uh, occasion, the, the better things really were. And, and this idea of, of weeping is not this, uh, I, I don't know if it's actually American, I, I, I think it is, uh, idea that uh, you stand there somber-faced and, and you've seen 
This happened many times in the past several years of our history. You'll just see a little tear running down someone's face and they say, that's, that's weeping. No, that's letting a tear run down your face. When we look at the Bible, weeping was making a noise. It was a lamentation. And uh, I'm not going to try to imitate that because uh, if, if I did actually come up with a good imitation of, of what went on here, I wouldn't have enough voice left to finish the sermon. I, I mean, it was loud. It was, it was, uh, it was something that was uh, uh, just full of, of emotion from the depth of your being. Jesus did not just sit there and go, as he wept over Jerusalem. He, he wept. I mean, there was... There was wailing involved in this thing. There, there, there was crying. I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard anyone just totally overcome by emotion uh, uh, make a, a real lamentation, a real sorrowful tear, crying over this thing. It, 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 normally what happens before you get to that stage, somebody slips you a volume or some kind of pill or something to make you feel a little bit better about it. Uh, sometimes I wonder if we didn't express ourselves a little more honest than if we'd have all the problems we do. Uh, you know, it, it's good to, to give uh, a vent to some of these things. And, and Jesus wept over the city. There's only three places in the Bible where it speaks specifically of Jesus weeping. And yet, in all my years of going to church, I don't think I've ever heard anybody preach on Palm Sunday about Jesus weeping. But that's what he did. And so what I'd like for us to do is to explore the subject. Jesus wept. It says, he beheld the city and wept over it. Let's read the verses here. And when he was come, verse 41, when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side. And they shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Now Jesus, as he is talking here, he is giving us the reasons why he is weeping on this grand and glorious occasion as the world, as the whole Jewish world itself is praising him and, and worshiping him for who he is, he is weeping. He is looking and he is seeing this city of Jerusalem. It would not be 40 years later, 30-some years later, the Roman armies would surround the city of Jerusalem. The city had been in rebellion. They had pushed out the Roman 
uh, uh, governor and, and the small band of soldiers he had there, and they had open rebellion against Rome, and Rome sent Titus with the entire legions of Rome, every man that they could muster, and they gave a sound, I mean, they gave an offer to the city of Jerusalem. They said, if you'll open the gates, we won't destroy the city, and we'll do the least amount of damage that we can possibly do to control the city. Anybody that fights us will have to kill them, but we'll, we'll save as many of the people alive as possible. Well, as the Roman courier was literally knocking at the gates, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and some of these temple people were involved in a sword fight on the temple steps trying to determine who was in charge of the temple. And when the Roman courier showed up, they said, Take a hike, guy. We got more important things to do. And when he came back and told General Titus what his answer had been, the general said, take the city, boys. He said, we're going to destroy it. And when they took the city of Jerusalem, they literally fulfilled the words of Jesus' prophecy here. Titus had tried to save the temple, but someone had put an arrow with fire in it all crossed, and it landed in one of the windows of the temple and set the temple on fire. And the heat from the fire melted the gold. And when the soldiers saw the gold in the temple come oozing out between the stones, they literally leveled that temple with the earth to get and scrape all of the gold that they could out of the temple complex. All that you see there today is the flat top of a mountain. Islam built a mosque about uh, 900 A.D. there. The rest of it, is gone. Jesus was not weeping over the mere destruction of the temple, but look look what he says here in verse 42. He said, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. He says, But now are they hid from thine eyes. The reason they were hid from the eyes is because those religious leaders, those people who were in charge of the city of Jerusalem at this time, had already made up their mind. In fact, even as this was going on, they were plotting how they could kill and destroy Jesus Christ. See, that's something... Hatred is something we call sin. Amen? God calls it sin because it destroys it kills and the hatred that these people had for Jesus 30 some years later would result in the total destruction of the city and if you'll read in John chapter 11 we don't have time to go there this morning but after Lazarus had been uh, resurrected from the grave uh, the Pharisees had a meeting with some of the witnesses of that, and they said, listen, don't you understand that if we don't get rid of this guy, the Romans are going to come, and they're going to take away our nation and our place. Isn't it interesting? They thought Jesus was the problem. 
but it was they themselves and those men that they had trained that would actually occasion the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. May I put forth to you today the reason Jesus was weeping here was because of the consequences of sin. God calls sin, sin, because it always brings forth what, my friends? Death. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. I don't care what sin it is. When it's done, it brings forth death. Jesus was weeping because of the death of tens of thousands of Jews in one day. There would be several hundred that would escape to a mountaintop called Masada out in the desert, a fortress that Herod built. How many know the story of Masada? Rome, the Roman legions, they could not and would not allow an outpost in land they controlled to be in rebellion. And Titus went there and he did everything he could and Finally, he brought the surviving people who survived the destruction of Jerusalem and had them build a ramp up the side of that mountain. You can still see it today. And they breached the walls. And the men and the women in there had a council. And they said, we will not fall into the hands of the Romans. And when the Roman soldiers finally broke over the wall, they just found room after room full of corpses. Every man killed his own family. And then they drew lots to who would kill each other, and it was just a mass suicide rather than surrender. To this day, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, go up on top of that mountain when they become soldiers, when they finish their training, and they swear that they'll never let that mountain fall again. And they haven't. But Antichrist is going to take it away from them. And Messiah is going to give it back. We live in a world that is full of death and destruction. Hatred. Nothing new, is it? Religious hatred. Is that anything new? The new dumbest excuse to go to hell. I'm not going to be a religious fanatic. Well, I don't know what your definition of fanaticism is. But this book called the Bible tells me that unless you're willing to confess Jesus as your Lord, unless you're willing to give him your entire life, every part about it, every decision you make, Everything you're going to be, everything that you were, every hope, every desire, you surrender your life to Him. That's what the word Lord means. It is total and complete surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, it's not total and complete surrender to a church. It's to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not total and complete surrender to somebody's stupid book about the Bible. 
It's total and complete surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and what we know about Him in the words of this book called the Bible. Because this is all we know about the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, what about the Gospel of St. Thomas? Uh, let me tell you, the Gospel of St. Thomas is not good enough to line your birdcage with, all right? It, it is the doctrine of devils is what it is. You want this book called the Bible, you read what it says about the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord. The means the only one. Lord means master. Jesus means savior. We have people running around blowing people up because they think that through pushing that button and blowing themselves up, they're going to be saved. Could you imagine something so perverse as that? But that's what's... You can't make this stuff up. How could you get more ridiculous than that? And yet it goes on every day, it seems. And yet... They want to tell us that Islam is a religion of peace. So we blow ourselves up. And it guarantees us freedom and eternity full of sensual, debauched pleasures. Does that make sense? Jesus wept over Jerusalem because of the consequences of sin. We could get real personal here. Every one of us in this room has experienced the consequences of sin, have we not? We have made decisions that we thought was good, we thought was right. The Bible says in the book of Judges, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. I'll tell you, there's something wrong with the person that says, I know that this decision is going to destroy me, and so I'm going to do it because I hate myself. We got help for people like that. It's called the Bible, amen? The reason why people hate themselves? Consequences of sin. They can't forgive themselves for what they've done. Worse yet, they can't accept the forgiveness that Jesus paid for them. So they can have forgiveness, amen? Forgiveness is something you cannot get from another human being. Forgiveness is something you cannot give from yourself. All forgiveness goes back to a cross outside the city of Jerusalem where Jesus Christ paid the price because without payment, without payment, there is no forgiveness. We've had a mortgage forgiven against our building. Did you know that? We made the last payment. That's why it was forgiven. And we're still working on the paperwork to prove it two years later. But it'll come through. Forgiveness involves payment. The reason I can forgive another human being is because Jesus paid for my sins and I understand what he gave me. And I cannot truly understand and accept what he gave me and refuse that same forgiveness for another human being. 
If you say, but I can, you don't have what the Bible calls forgiveness. How many people have been wronged by someone else and then set their life out to destroy that person that wronged them? Bitterness. I love Roy Thompson, my pastor's definition of bitterness. It's drinking poison and waiting for your enemy to die. That's what bitterness is. That's why Jesus was weeping here over the city of Jerusalem. Because he was looking at the consequences of sin. We live in a day where sin is so trivialized that unless you've murdered someone and skinned them out and, and uh, uh, involved yourself in cannibalism or some occultic deviant act that, oh, I'm just not a sinner. Lying is a sin. How many of us have told a lie? Can we be honest this morning? How much pain and suffering have those lies caused over the years? Can I tell you a quick story about one little lie? Four drunken reporters dreamed up in a bar room in Denver, uh, Colorado, about a hundred and, let's see, twenty-some years ago. It was a Saturday afternoon. They didn't have anything to write about in their Sunday paper. And uh, Denver was a little cow town back then. The only thing Denver had going for it was a railway stop. And they decided that they'd get together at the local hotel. And one of them came up with the bright idea, let's order a round of beer. And uh, so they began thinking and they said, one of them came up with the idea. Let's make something up and put it in the paper. We'll all run the same story. It will sell some papers. We'll have a little fun, and at least we'll have something to write about. And so they began drinking and thinking. Um, now, those things don't go together, do they? But anyway, by the time they were done... They had concocted the idea that a set of architects was on its way to China to remove the Great China Wall because the Chinese government was going to be open to international trade and foreign uh, uh, commerce in the land of China. And they printed it in big, bold headlines in their newspapers. And they thought they were having fun, but... Uh, man traveling through grabbed the paper on his way to San Francisco. Made headlines in San Francisco. Went back to New York via the telegraph. And when word got to China that America was sending a group of architects to destroy the Great Chinese Wall, the Boxer Rebellion began. Now, most of you probably never heard of it. But the United States sent several divisions of Marines there were tens of thousands of British troops. In fact, how many of you remember Hong Kong being turned over to communist China? That was the end of the treaty, ending the Boxer Rebellion as the forces of Europe 
subdued the entire Chinese government and Great Britain forced China to secede Hong Kong to them for a hundred years. Tens of thousands of people died because of four drunken reporters and a made-up story in a bar room in Denver, uh, Colorado. And we wonder why Jesus was weeping over the consequences of sin. How many of us, if we'll stop and think this morning, have lost things we'll never get back? You can put stuff in your mind that you'll never get out of your mind as long as you live. You can allow your heart to walk, walk down those dark corridors of sin and no one else sees or knows what you've done. But the results are going to be there because sin always has consequences. We have a generation of children who are now becoming adults that were raised by parents who said, I'm not going to discipline my kid like my parents did me. I want them to enjoy everything life has to offer. We've sown the wind and repped the whirlwind, as the Bible says. Sin is no longer sin. Well, I ain't killed anybody. Well, how many people did you kill in your video game last night? Oh, only about 10,000. But it's a video game. I'm just having fun. And we wonder why a man can walk into a Wendy's restaurant and tie five people up and shoot them in the back of the head. He'd been practicing for years on his video game. We wonder why we have people embracing all kinds of strange and unusual religions and scorning this book called the Bible because of sin you know God's not going to bless us individually or as a church until we're willing to weep over the things that Jesus wept about until we're willing to weep over our sin and there's not one of us in this room that is without sin. We're all in the same boat. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We were Tuesday. I was up in the little town of Deposit, New York. It's about 40 miles this side of uh, Binghamton. And uh, we were helping with a church up there that's just getting started. God has really blessed that little church. We sent them an offering uh, last year, uh, about $500 to help with renovations in their building. And uh, and so we have a little investment there, and I wanted to go up and check on our investment. Amen? And uh, I'm telling you, we, we spent the money well. They've got a little group of 25, 30 people that are coming every Sunday now, and, and uh, the pastor's still working a full-time job, but things are moving in the right direction. That church is becoming established. And I'll tell you, just... Uh, joy to my heart, we went out and went knocking on doors for them and tried to help find some more people to come to the church. And 
the group of preachers that were up there, we got two or three months worth of work done for him in just a couple of hours on Tuesday morning because there was a lot of us and just one of him. And uh, I met a man and uh, happened to be from Westchester County. And uh, he, he said, I don't have any of that religious stuff. I stopped going to church when I was a, a little kid. And, and I just don't want any of it. There's too much suffering in the world. If there's a real God, why would he allow suffering? It's real easy. It's called sin. If God cut off the consequences of sin, what kind of world would this be? If you could involve yourself in any kind of behavior you wanted and there were no consequences for it, what in the world would the human heart be capable of? Let me tell you, you don't want to think about that one very long. Suffering is always the consequences of sin. You know who suffers the most? It's the children that suffer the most. They're the ones that always get double. When they see that mom and dad don't care about the things of the Bible, they don't care double. I've talked to people over the years and, and, and you know, I've I, I pled with parents. I had one lady, she said, my son won't come to church. I said, bring him. You bring him. If you bring him to church, he'd be here. And uh, the reason I tell you the story is because it never showed up. None of you know who it is. I have no way of knowing who it is. Because it never showed up. Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem because he was looking down just a few years and he could see all the destruction and the death and the suffering that sin, the sins that were being committed as Jesus was riding a donkey into Jerusalem, the sins of hatred and the plotting and the planning of his own destruction and rejection that they were trying to do in the city of Jerusalem as Jesus rode that donkey in one gate they were gathered in the chambers of the temple trying to plot Jesus' destruction. Hatred, bitterness, sins. The whole city would reap just a little while down the road. And remember, Jesus wasn't going boo-hoo-hoo. He was weeping. But everybody was so glad that he was there, that they weren't paying a bit of attention. Let's turn to John chapter 11, if you would. The second place in the Bible, actually this predates chronologically the first place we looked at, but today is uh, what we call Palm Sunday, and so we wanted to start with what Jesus was doing on this very day. And we come here to John chapter 11, and just to summarize the story, most of us are, are familiar with the story of John chapter 11. Jesus had some very special people that, that he, he loved and cared for. It was a, a family, two sisters, 
Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And apparently this was one of Jesus' stopping places as he traveled to the city of Jerusalem. In fact, it was just the night before Jesus came through that eastern gate on Palm Sunday that Jesus had had a great dinner there in the city of Bethlehem and it was Martha that served and Lazarus sat right beside Jesus as a trophy of the fact that he had literally been dead and had been raised again from the dead four days later by the power of Jesus Christ. And it was Mary who broke that box of ointment and poured it upon him. But this was before all that happened. Lazarus got sick. He got real bad sick. And he got so sick that they said, we better send for Jesus. Jesus didn't come. And Lazarus died. And he was put in the tomb. And they couldn't figure out why Jesus had let them down. Finally, Jesus comes. And Lazarus had been in the grave for four days when Jesus shows up. Jesus put up with so much. You just cannot imagine his patience. He tells the disciples that Lazarus is sleeping. And they said, well... Jesus, if he's sleeping, that'll help him get better, won't it? He said, you don't understand. Lazarus is dead. But we're going to go see him anyway. You know what Thomas' first statement was? Verse 16, Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. You know, Jesus was under a great bit of persecution, and this was right next to the city of Jerusalem where his chief persecutors were. And, and, and Thomas was saying, well, we can't raise... Uh, Lazarus is dead. Jesus said we're going to where Lazarus is. Must mean we're going to die for God. Let's go. I'm ready. Now, I admire Lazarus's willingness... I mean, uh, uh, whatever his name was. Thomas. There we go. We'll get the right name before too long. Thomas' willingness to lay down his life for God. But... Uh, his uh, total uh, uncomprehending thought process is not admirable. Well, now is it? I mean, he missed the whole thing. He had no idea what was going on. I mean, it's real easy for us. We can read the whole story. But no one person except Martha, who only hinted at it, didn't dare believe that it would happen. Everybody else was, it's too late. It's too late. Can I propose to you the second time Jesus wept? John eleven thirty-five. Let's read the verse together. All together, here we go. Jesus wept. Now, let's try that one more time, okay? John eleven thirty-five. 35. Jesus wept. 
Now, if you cannot memorize any other verse in Scripture, you can memorize that one, can't you? It's only two words. I want to propose to you today that the main reason Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb was because of unbelief. It was not because of Lazarus, because Lazarus... He knew what was going to happen. Lazarus was coming out of the tomb. So why would he be weeping for something? Uh, That doesn't make sense. Why would he be weeping for Lazarus' suffering? Or really for the tears of anybody else? Because those tears were only going to be temporary. Jesus wasn't weeping. Because he wanted to show everybody that he really cared and loved Lazarus. Now, where I come from, we'd say if he had a lick of sense, anyone who had a lick of sense knew that. You say, how much sense is a lick? Not much, amen? It's about one good go at an ice cream cone. If you have that much sense, you know that Jesus loved Lazarus. Amen. Jesus was not trying to prove anything to anyone. Jesus never tried to prove anything to anyone. Either you accepted him for who he is, or you didn't, because you don't enrich Jesus one way or the other. Jesus wept because of unbelief. How much unbelief is in this world today? Can we get personal for a minute? How much unbelief is in this auditorium this morning? A lot more than you think, let me tell you. We have many different ways to disguise our unbelief to make us feel a little better about it. Not very many of us would be willing to look up to heaven and say, God, I don't believe, because we know that's blasphemous. And so we join ranks. Maybe I could give you a glaring example. We were out on Steinway Street a couple of years back and and uh, we were presenting the gospel there, and and I was in the middle of uh, painting a sermon on the board on the van, and uh, a woman walked by, and as soon as she saw what it was, she said, I'm an atheist, real loud, trying to interrupt the meeting, thought it was real cute. And uh, I said, are you honest? I've never met an honest atheist, as she's walking up the sidewalk. And she turned around, and she said, oh, I believe in God and kept walking up the sidewalk. Now, an atheist that believes in God either is a dishonest atheist or isn't an atheist, one of the two. Because the word atheist means you don't believe there's a God. See, she was trying to disguise her belief so that she could be a little more comfortable with it. What she was really trying to say is, 
there's got to be a God out there. But I don't think he wants to have anything to do with me. How many times do we face situations in our lives? Oh, I know there's a God. And I know he's capable of doing great things. But is he going to do something right here? Is he going to supply my need that I have? You know, sometimes we come to God with needs that we have and we say, God, I, I want you to supply this need. And God says in his wisdom and his love, no. And what do we do? We get mad at God. That's unbelief. It's an unwillingness to trust God with the circumstances we find ourselves in. And so I ask the question again. How much unbelief is right here in this auditorium today? How much unbelief in your life? It starts when you trust Jesus as your Savior. Now, I think if we went through the crowd today, almost everyone here would say, I, I believe in Jesus. I trust Him. I, I want Him to be my Savior. Well, wanting Him to be your Savior and having Him as your Savior is two completely separate things. When you trust Jesus, you simply do it. That means He will take care of it. Please don't raise your hand, but I, w I want you just to think about it. How many of you have a... Uh, when Jimmy Carter was president, uh, we had to invent this thing as a society called the misery factor. It was tied innately to his presidency. Uh... Interest rates were 21%. Some of you will remember uh, that great <clears throat> president. Uh, but let's just stop a, thing, a minute here. And What is your misery factor today? Now, let me quote you what Jesus said in John chapter 14. He says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He said, ask that you may receive, that your joy may be full. Now, I'm not talking about walking around like Jimmy Baker with a big smile on my face all the time. We found out he lied about a whole bunch of things other than that, didn't we? We're talking about really living for God having a joy in spite of the pain and suffering that goes on in this life, having a trust that will take us through the consequences of sin. I mean, sometimes we've done wrong things, we've made wrong decisions, and we'll spend the rest of our life reaping the rewards of that wrong decision. But I'm telling you that God will bring you through that thing if you'll just put your faith and trust in Him and stop trying to figure it out on your own. You're not as smart as you think you are. I'm sorry. But if I love you, I have to tell you the truth. Amen? 
By the way, uh, I've already told myself that a long time ago. Uh, I figured that out. I'm not as smart as I think I am. By the way, that's not saying much. But if we'll humble ourselves and just put our faith and trust in Jesus, he'll get done what needs to be done. Because he's the only one that can do it anyway, amen? Jesus wept. In fact, the response of the people that were there at the tomb when they saw him weeping as they say, Behold how he loved him. They thought he was weeping along with them at the death of Lazarus, that there was nothing that could be done. But that wasn't true. He was weeping because of the unbelief of the disciples, the unbelief of Mary and Martha, the unbelief of the Jews that were there. In fact, look how far this unbelief went. Verse 45, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him, but some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Even though they saw it, they refused to believe. You can't believe in something you don't want to believe in. And the only way you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is to give Him your all. Do you remember that day when you totally surrendered to the Lord? If you can trust Him with your soul, why cannot you trust him with fill in the blank? This person, this circumstance, this reversal, this problem. Whatever the cause of your misery factor is, needs to be in that equation. If you're trusting him with your soul, why can't you trust him? with your joy he'll give it to you I promise one more time Hebrews chapter 5 Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 is talking about Jesus it says who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that trust him. Is that what your Bible says? To all them that believe on Him. Your Bible says that. It just doesn't say it here. It uses a different word. You see, trust and obedience go together. If you ever separate them, neither one of them is true. Belief and obedience go together. 
And if you ever separate them, neither one of them is true. If you don't have obedience, you don't have faith, and you don't have salvation. But I go to church. I show up and put up with your miserable sermons week after week after week. Isn't that enough suffering to get me into heaven? No. It isn't. You say, Pastor, you're just making that up. No, actually, I did have a man that uh, I was was his uh, therapy. He said, if I can come and put up with your preaching, he says, that tells me that I'm still uh, close enough to hear God. And uh, he stopped coming years and years and years ago. Because, see, you can't have that kind of obedience and have real faith in a real God. Now, you read these words words that we just read in Hebrews chapter 7, and, and in a couple of months on Thursday night, we'll be covering this territory again as we go through the book of Hebrews on, on our Thursday night Bible study. And we're not going to cover it in near the depth that we will on Thursday night because we'd be here until the evening service. But what I want us to do here is just look at what it said. It said Jesus offered up strong prayers. He he offered up prayers, I'm sorry, and supplications with strong crying and tears. Now, why did Jesus have to pray with strong crying and tears unto God when Jesus is God? That's something good to think about now, isn't it? How many are totally confused at this point? Boy, that one kind of blows your mind, doesn't it? And then we read on here, and it says that he learned obedience. Now, how can God learn obedience? He is God. He knows everything. And then... We look at verse 9, it says, in being made perfect. I thought God already was perfect. See, wait a minute, what in the world is he talking about here? Well, maybe it will help you if we put one word into this equation. You see, we human beings are stuck inside this little thing called Jesus had to do all of the things that he did in order to fulfill the prophecies. They had to be done. The word perfect is not what you and I are thinking of perfect. It, it just simply means complete. Nothing missing. Jesus, when he prayed these prayers, had not yet finished his work on earth. And he was giving an example to you and I. We talk about the Garden of Gethsemane. Just moments before Jesus' suffering, physical suffering began that led to the cross, he spent three hours in prayer quoting Scripture. The same verse. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. 
Why would Jesus do that? It says in the garden, his prayer was so earnest that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. You and I don't understand that kind of emotional upheaval, but doctors tell us that you can get to a certain point uh, of emotional trauma that the capillaries in the skin, especially on your face, because it's so thin, will literally rupture. In World War I, we had soldiers in the trenches, and they would tell occasionally of a soldier who would, as they had been given the order, they were waiting hours in that trench to climb up out of that 10-foot deep hole and walk across the no-man's land, meeting instantaneous death. They had battles where tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of people were killed in moments. And those soldiers, some of them would get so traumatized by what they were about to face, by facing death itself, that they would try to climb up out of that hole and their, their whole face would be covered with blood and not a wound on them. Jesus hates sin because he is God. He wept over its consequences. The greatest sin is the sin of unbelief, which Jesus wept over at Lazarus' tomb. But when he went to the cross, he took upon him he carried the burden of every sin ever sinned by mankind. He did it. That's what this passage is talking about. So many people sit and hear and read and they never do. And they're going to miss heaven because they've never trusted Jesus. That's why Jesus wept. He did it. My question is, have you done it? Have you trusted Jesus as your personal Savior? If you haven't, you're not saved. It's just that simple. Now, if I can just be brutally honest with you today, there's a brand of faith out there that says you can trust Jesus, but you never have to be baptized, you never have to join church, you never have to do anything. All you have to do is pray and ask Jesus to save you. Or, oh, I'm willing to do all of that, but, you know, I got these problems in my life. I'm really miserable, and I, I don't want to be this way, but God's certainly not the answer. Let me tell you something. If that's the way you're thinking, you better check your salvation out. 
Because that's not the kind of salvation God offers in this book called the Bible. That's a cheap imitation thereof that won't protect you from the fires of hell for 10 seconds. Salvation is real. It changes the way you live. If the way you live doesn't change, then you better check what kind of salvation you have. Jesus said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. He said, many shall try, shall not be able. That's a scary verse to me. And my purpose for this message this morning is simply this. Jesus wept three times. We have it recorded in the Bible that Jesus used tears. Let me ask you something. When's the last time you were able to shed real tears over your sin and the consequences of it in your life? When was the last time you were able to care about someone else enough to weep? over the wrong decisions that they had made in their lives and the destruction that was coming. When was the last time that you got before God and said, I don't believe, Lord, help my unbelief, and allowed the tears to flow between you and God to change the way you live? Or for someone else caught in the web of unbelief and to pray for them that God would set them free. When is the last time you were willing to weep tears and ask God that if I die trying, you're going to do it? Not just going to sit here and talk about it and hope that someday it'll be in my life. Jesus wept tears. He sweat blood. He went far beyond anything he asked you and I to do. But he did it, my friend. He did it. He finished the work. And he just wants us be real to do it Jesus wept what about you let's pray dear Heavenly Father we come before you this morning we just ask that you would do your work Lord, that you give us tears. That you give us the ability to weep over the consequences and over the wickedness of sin. Lord, that you would allow us to come before you and be honest with unbelief in our life. And allow our souls 
to weep before a holy God. Lord, we come before you and ask that we would not be satisfied with some dry-eyed mental assent to what your word says. But Lord, we'd be willing to grab a hold and, and pray and, and get over ourselves and break those things down and allow you to work in our hearts and our lives. Lord, we don't want just drummed up emotion. We don't need emotion. We need obedience. We need a faith that lives in spite of all the death about us. Lord, we ask you to work during this invitation time. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's just stand together if you would. And uh, before we start the formal time of invitation, we have one decision that's already been made. Yoshen, if you just come forward this morning. Right there, I'll meet you there. And uh, Yosen said that she trusted the Lord as her Savior. Uh, what year was that again? About 10 years ago. Okay. And uh, we met uh, last week in the office, Monday night, and began to talk about those things. And she called last night and said, I want to be baptized. There's no reason to wait. And so all of those willing to receive Yosen as a member of a church pending her baptism say amen. We have to say, is there any opposed? And of course, there never are. And so if you want to go back and get ready. And of course, we rejoice with her at her decision. And now we want to give you an opportunity to decide what God is going to do in your life today. Let's sing that song. I love it. Only trust him. That's, that's where it is. 541, if you need the words. Brother Franz, if you would just lead us. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. And he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. He will save you, He will save you, He will save you now. We'll just have the piano continue to play. If you'd like to come and join these here at the altar praying, now is the time. Let's not wait on the Lord. Let's come. Let's be obedient to His Word. If you're here today and you're not saved, would you give your life to Jesus today?
Let's sing one more verse, and if no one else comes, we'll be done. For Jesus shed his precious blood, rich blessings to bestow. Plunge now into the crimson flood that washes white as snow. Only trust him, only trust him, only trust him now. He will save you, he will save you, he will save you now. Only trust him, only trust him, only trust him now. He will save you, he will save you, he will save you now. On that last, yes, Jesus is the truth, the way that leads you into rest. Trust him, only trust him, only trust him now. He will save you, he will save you, he will save you now. Amen. You may be seated. And if Brother John and, uh, let's see, Peter, can you give me a hand here? Just want to lay this pulpit back here, and uh, Bill Shedd, if you'll come on up. And I have to ask you a few questions first. And uh, we've already given a little testimony, but are, are you trusting only in Jesus to take you to heaven? Yes. Anything Nothing. else? Nothing else. Not the water in the baptistry? No, the moment, the moment I talk to him, Amen. Amen. Now, I don't know if you all heard that. She said the moment you put your trust in Jesus as the Son of God and the fact that he paid the price for our sins, you get saved. And that's what the Bible teaches. Amen. The water is a picture. It's a living example. As Jesus died... On the cross, he was buried and he rose again. She'll sit in the pool. She'll go back, picturing his death, under the water, picturing his, his, his burial, and out of the water, picturing his resurrection. When Yoshen got saved ten years ago, the old Yoshen died, was dead. And the new life that Jesus Christ gives, we're supposed to live. It's also identification. Yoshin said, I was baptized in another church. And we said, but see, the authority comes from the Word of God. And when a church doesn't teach what the Bible says, then they don't have authority to baptize. Not scripturally, anyway. And so baptism is your public identification with the Lord Jesus Christ and with Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And we praise the Lord that she's made this decision. And if you'll come right around here help you right in yeah anywhere works there you go okay just sit right there 
Just hold on to my arm there. Okay. Yoshen, I baptize you, my sister, upon your public profession of faith in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And all God's people said, Amen. All right. We have the pulpit back. Now, if we could have our ushers come at this time, we'll receive this morning's offering. Brother Teddy, would you ask God to bless the offering this morning? Make sure you take time to read the bulletin. Some special services are, are, are listed there. Uh, men, we need to get together and just come up with a date for our monthly fellowship. And uh, just want to call your attention uh, to one thing. We do not do this very often. Uh, the missionaries that we have come visit, we praise the Lord, we're able to give them a, a generous offering out of uh, our regular missions giving. But uh, once in a while, a special need comes up in a I would just like you to uh, uh, pray about taking part personally, uh, giving an extra uh, 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 offering to help with uh, the uh, 
May offering at Heartland Baptist Bible College. That's something our church has participated in. Um, read what's in the bulletin here. Uh, it'll tell you just a little bit about it. They're hoping uh, to begin construction on a new building. Right now they do all the preaching in the gymnasium. Uh, it's a nice place, but it's it's not, not what it ought to be in a Bible college. And... Uh, they're uh, planning carefully, and, uh, and the school does have needs for this space other than just the chapel services, but uh, it's, it's not uh, something that's done on a whim or just because they want to build something there. It, it's actually meeting a need, and uh, if you'll remember, uh, just actually last May I was uh, placed on the board of directors, so I sat in on the top secret meetings. No, they don't have that stuff. And... Uh, Got to see all the information and uh, talk to the men. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I'm, I'm personally going to be doing something uh, extra for this. And I, I just encourage you to do that. Last year, our church was able to give uh, a total offering to Heartland for just over $1,000 beside our monthly support. And, uh, and uh, I, I think we could do a little better than that if, if we just, everybody got involved and, and had a little part and want you to pray about that because uh, they have a heart for training men and women for the ministry and uh, we can't do all of that here but just want to challenge you to read that and pray about that if you would all right let's stand together brother Franz come and lead us as we're dismissed 705 if you need the words <clears throat> Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you. Take it then where'er you go. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Thank you for being with us.